Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel or Good News concerning the Kingdom of God. We were saying last time that many of us have been led to believe in an objective of our Christian faith which really isn't biblical. We were taught, it seems to me, from childhood that our objective is to go to heaven. We hear language about when I get to heaven, so-and-so's in heaven. Now, all that may be very comforting, but is it in any way biblical? What prompted a leading Cambridge Bible scholar to say recently, heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying? If you're challenged by that statement, we invite you to ask for a book on the kingdom of God. Use the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. We'd be very happy to send you a free copy for your own personal Bible study at home. The name of the book is The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. In it, we outline what Jesus meant by the term kingdom of God and what he meant by the term gospel. These are the same things. Jesus spoke of the gospel of the kingdom of God, but we don't hear that phrase gospel of the kingdom used very frequently today. Could it be that we are missing out on a great deal of the information which Jesus provided for us? Could it be that we're not using the same language as he? We were pointing out last time that when people come to ask Jesus what they need to do to be saved, they don't say, what shall I do to go to heaven? They never use the language, as we popularly hear it used today, about going to heaven or disappearing as a disembodied soul. Rather, they ask about inheriting the future kingdom of God or inheriting the life of that coming age. The kingdom of God in the New Testament is associated with the age to come. You see, in the Hebrew mind, there are two ages in history. The present evil age, from the time of Adam onwards until now, and into the future. And then the second age, the coming age, which is the age to be inaugurated at the second coming of Jesus. And at that time, there will be the coming age, the future age of the kingdom of God. We're living, as Paul said in Galatians 1, verse 4, in the present evil age. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan is said to be the god of this age, this present evil age. And this present evil age will continue, the New Testament says, until it is superseded by the future or coming age of the kingdom of God. And that coming age begins at the second coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, you will learn that at the seventh trumpet, only when that seventh trumpet will have sounded, only at that time will the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of God and of Messiah. And Messiah then will rule from that point onwards. But for the moment, Jesus is not ruling. Jesus is not sitting on the throne of David, as was promised to him in Luke 1, verse 32. We're waiting for that great event. The problem is that many have become confused about this week in relation to next week, so to speak. They're confused about the present and the future. They've muddled the future with the present. They seem to think that the kingdom of God is the same as the church now. That's absolutely untrue to our New Testament documents. According to the New Testament teachings, the kingdom of God is the great event to be expected at the time when Jesus returns, at the time when he descends from the sky and eventually places his feet on the Mount of Olives and takes over Jerusalem as the capital of the new kingdom of God. And at that time, and from that time onwards, Jerusalem will become 
a great new world worship center. All the nations will go up to it, and they will beg to be taught right ways of living, ways of living that will produce peace and harmony on a worldwide scale. That's what's meant by the kingdom of God. It's a new government coming, and you can check this easily by conferring with Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, which says that in the days of the beast kingdoms they're described, the kingdom of God will be set up. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. But don't be misled into thinking that the kingdom of heaven means a kingdom in heaven. It's a kingdom that comes from heaven, as you'll find in Daniel 7, verse 27, where the whole kingdom under the whole heaven is given to the saints and to the Son of Man. That's to say, Jesus and the body of faithful Christians and the faithful of all of the ages ruling with him in that future kingdom. The primary meaning of the kingdom of God in the New Testament is the government, the worldwide government, to be established by the return of Jesus when he takes up his lawful position on the throne of David. That's the hope of all the Hebrew prophets, and that was what was guaranteed to Mary when the angel Gabriel came to her and announced that her son would one day sit on the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. Once we replace the term heaven with the kingdom of God, we'll begin to read the New Testament in an intelligent way. Drop the use of the word heaven, when I get to heaven, what shall I do to go to heaven, and so on, and replace it by phrases like, what shall I do to be in the future kingdom when Jesus comes back? What shall I do to inherit the earth? Because Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. And in Revelation 5 verse 10, you'll find that the saints of all the nations are to be gathered together in one corporate body as the ruling kingdom of God at that time, and they shall reign upon the earth. That's exactly what Jesus said when he said that the meek would inherit the earth. By inheriting the kingdom or inheriting the earth, they're going to take charge of the affairs of this earth in a brand new government to be established when Jesus comes back in power and glory. Now, if you feel in any way uncertain about this distinction between the church and the kingdom, here's an easy way that you can check the facts. Look at chapter 1 of the book of Acts, and you'll find that in verse 5, Jesus, in a famous last conversation with the disciples, said to them, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in a few days' time. Notice that carefully. In a few days' time, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was referring then to the event which came to be at Pentecost. By that time, Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he poured out the Holy Spirit and inaugurated the public appearance of the church there. That was the event to which he referred in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But now notice carefully Acts 1, verse 6. The disciples then said, Is it therefore the time when you are now going to restore to Israel the kingdom of God? Are you going to give Israel back its king? Are you going to be the Messiah in Jerusalem and rule the world? And how did Jesus reply to that question? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which God has placed in his own authority. In other words, that kingdom is going to come at a time you don't know about. He never for one moment said that the question was misguided or wrong. It wasn't a question of whether the kingdom would be established in Israel again. It was a question only of when that was going to happen. And that was not going to happen in a few days' time. The Spirit was to come in a few days' time, but the coming of the kingdom was to be at a time unknown to them in the future. 
Now, what that proves to any unprejudiced reader of the Scriptures is that the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost with Jesus at the right hand of the Father is not the same event as the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is still the event of the future. We find that in Acts 14, verse 22, for example, where Paul says, through much tribulation now, that's to say the tribulations of the present Christian life, through much tribulation we are destined to enter the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, he said in another passage in 1 Corinthians 15:50, flesh and blood, that's to say you as you are presently constituted, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15:50, Paul went on to say that we must be resurrected and transformed in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Check it for yourself. No verse in the New Testament says that we already have inherited the kingdom of God. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. We're waiting for the kingdom of God, as in Mark 15, verse 43. We're looking forward to the kingdom of God. But in the Bible, nobody looked forward to disappearing to heaven, to realms beyond the sky. That's not the objective as Jesus laid it out for us and as the apostles preached it to us. For some reason, we've changed the language of the Bible and that's a most unwise thing to be engaged in. We need to be speaking the language of the Bible using the terminology of Jesus and in that way we'll develop his mind and think like him and be like him. Because as it says in the Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you want to be a Christian, use the language of Jesus. Follow Jesus in every detail. That's what it means to be a New Testament Christian. I'm sure you remember those most significant words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Paul there said, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, Paul went on to say, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. And then in verse 16, these extraordinary words, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we, Christians, says Paul, have the mind of Christ. In 1 John 5, verse 20, the Apostle John remarked that Jesus Christ had come to give us an understanding so that we might know God. The Greek word there, the yania, means the power to reason properly, the power to understand, the power to grasp spiritual things in order to come into a knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. Now, that knowledge was given to us in the teaching of Jesus, summed up in the supremely important slogan which characterized Jesus' work and preaching at every moment, namely the gospel about the kingdom of God. We come back again and again to the foundation of the Christian faith in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus begins by telling people to repent and believe in God's gospel about the kingdom of God, not just any gospel, not a gospel vaguely defined, but a quite specific and focused gospel, the gospel concerning God's intention to place fair government upon this earth by sending his Messiah to rule the world in a revolutionary new government to be initiated and inaugurated in power by the future coming of Jesus to take up his appointed position as heir to the throne of David, promised him 
not only by Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and onwards, but also by many of the Old Testament Hebrew prophets. Such is the messianism of the New Testament. Tragically, theology has tried to remove Jesus from his messianic framework, but you cannot do that without ruining the portrait of Messiah given us in the New Testament documents. Our New Testament documents are messianic to the core. They are cut from the same cloth as contemporary Judaism with its hope for the reestablishment of the messianic kingdom on the earth. Why did the Jews believe that one day God would intervene to send them the Messiah who would conquer the world and establish sound government upon the earth? They believed it because that's what the prophets had taught them. And it's no good pretending that the prophets did not believe in the messianic hope. Of course they did. It's no good pretending that Jesus rejected that political, social, and spiritual kingdom on the earth. Of course he did not. Jesus was a Jew who confirmed the Hebrew prophets, confirmed the message given to Abraham and to David and to the prophets of Israel. Jesus fully expected to take up his position as Messiah. It was only a question of timing. First he had to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and later, at a time still future to us, he will come to reign on this earth. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check our findings carefully in your own Bible at home. Request the book about the kingdom of God, which we mentioned earlier. We would be happy to send you a free copy if you will request it from us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite and famous topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.